This is Coda Radio, episode 183 for December 14th, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, established, hunkered down on the East Coast. Why, yes... Is Mr. Michael Dominic? Hey there, Michael. Misa on the land because they figured me out. <laughs> you are on the run. <laughs> oh man, Star Wars! The Star Wars hype is real. It is near, and the theories are strong with this one. It is mm, quite strong. This came into the show. I'm sorry I didn't grab the gentleman's name who sent it in. Really, really, really appreciate uh, that this came into the show. But it explains why Jar Jar has been visiting the Coda Radio program for on and off the past 183 weeks why Jar Jar Binks was introduced to the Star Wars narrative, and how Jar Jar Binks is actually the true evil villain of the entire show. Oh, oh, that was kind of a nice buildup. And then I forgot that the KDE display thing isn't set up yet. I will fix that. But, Mike, there is a subreddit dedicated to Darth Jar Jar. And I have read the entire thing. Did you look at the mega thread? Did you look at their it's huge mega thread? There is a logical consistency there that's... They yeah. uh, they actually go back and they actually cite like interviews with Lucas and other Star Wars novelists and they cite these interviews and they use them as examples of where there was some logical inconsistencies and in how some characters were created to fill in for Jar Jar once they no longer wanted to make him a bad guy. But if you just tweak these few characters, they actually are all Jar Jar. I'm like, it is. <laughs> they're they're serious about it, Mike. They're not joking around. They're not they're not joking around. Like I thought it was a gag. And then I spent an hour reading it, and I realized I just spent an hour reading it. That wasn't a gag. He said the best. Yeah, yeah. All right, I just, uh, I just am waiting for uh, the Plasma desktop to uh, finish crashing. And, and while we uh, wait for your crappy open source software to start working. Ouch. It hurts down, uh, deep down. It hurts deep down. That hurts. I, Chris, I've been reading Craigslist all morning. Oh, my goodness. deep and down, we can have that conversation. Mike's reading Craigslist. There, there's new, your jingle. A new segment coming in the new year. Yeah, somebody and make a jingle out of that, and we'll make a segment. Never, never <laughs> going to let that one go. Um, what beer are you drinking this week, or did you forget? Oh, no. Like, I, I, you, you, no you know, you well know that I, I barely remembered at the end of the show, thanks to you. And it's the one you suggested I hang on to for this week. I am drinking the famously generic, but yet delightfully refreshing Samuel Adams Boston Lager, rocking in at a 12-ounce bottle with a 4.9% alcohol volume. I am also drinking a Sam Adams, but I am drinking the relatively good Oktoberfest. Really? Yeah, the Oktoberfest is, is nice. Uh, you know, the Boston Lager is a solid beer, and I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to make sure that I have this entire beer drinking before we talk about Linux Academy. We'll be our first sponsor this week coming up in a little bit. So that's going to be a challenge because... You know, it's funny. My, my uncle Tim called me and said... If you're going to, you know, you have a drinking problem. And I said, really, Uncle Tim, why? He said, well, I, I saw you using Linux, and no one would do that sober. Wow. Well, there might be some logic to that. You know, we're only here for a little while. 
And there's no beer in heaven, so drink all the beer while you're still here, Mr. Dominic. And that's why you and I are going to hell. We actually decided that just for – so the reason why we're doing the beer thing in the show is uh, these are – these this episode and last week was our two beer episodes. And we're just having some fun because these are the last two episodes of the year before Christmas, obviously, because next week we're doing a pre-record episode where uh, we're doing a retrospective on some of the topics that we covered and a couple of things I snuck in there about uh, things – that Mr. Dominic has sort of discovered throughout the year. Oh, no, no spoilers. No uh, spoilers. I, I wish I could be in the mumble room and troll you next week as you do this. But. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, and then what's going to be fun is the week after Christmas, we're going to come back and we're kind of going to do follow up and uh, continue the discussion from the retrospective and probably cover on a few other topics too that right. weren't in the retrospective and kind of do a year look back on Coda Radio. So, we're kind of having some fun with this, this episode since this is our last live one before Christmas. Uh, and, um, I got to say, the, the, the beer thing has been fun. And so I'll drink this Boston lager. I'm taking this, this hit for the team, Mike. It's uh, oh. you know, Everybody knows. So, the, nice thing know, about, the nice thing about drinking a Boston lager is anybody could be listening to this episode, hit pause, and probably go find one. Right. Yeah, although, to be fair, we should probably do the one right before the new year, right? We should probably do a European beer for all of our... Or whiskey. Oh, dude. No, no. <laughs> I, I reserve... Okay, but... You're stretching my budget, but oh, that's true. That is that is true. That is a little more expensive than a, than a beer. No, I'm cool with that. I, I do reserve the right, however, to drink malt liquor anytime we discuss PHP. Mm, to, mm-hmm. I think that's in your contract. It is. It's it's written yeah. in there. Or yeah. just you know that bottom shelf vodka brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Poland Spring, not yeah. to be confused with the water that comes in a giant plastic jug. Yes. Yeah, to even look at PHP, I have to do like a quarter of that bottle. Yeah, that well, that's pretty understandable. That's pretty. I mean. It is, again, the personal homepage language. So I, I wanted to give a shout-out to Adrian E., who uh, won the swag from last week, the Coda Radio mug. We had the, we had So each show right now for JB has a, a, a swag that's sort of related to the show. It's like show-specific themed, and we've been revealing them for a bit now. And so the Coda Radio mug, it's a really nice white mug with green coder written on it and a green handle and a green rim, and then it's green inside. It's really nice. Really well, really well, uh, feels, feels really good, kind of, uh, kind of a mug. So Adrian got that, so congrats to him for getting the swag. There are other shows this week that will have swag links in the show notes, and uh, you guys can go find that if you have successful Patreon payments. So that was pretty cool. I thought it was kind of neat. Now, remember the coffee talk we had forever ago on the show? People liked that. Some people hated it. That's why we stopped. <laughs> well, and I you know, managed to get myself hospitalized. That but... is true. There, the, there is the uh, whole uh, heart. How is your heart doing? Well, uh, actually, um, I'm... I'm, you know, it's funny. The gender of my child being a boy, I healed. It was kind of like a Wolverine Weapon yeah. X type thing. Yeah, they do that. I just kind of got up. Yeah. Now yeah. Uh, you're going to be good until either child goes into daycare or then school, and you are going to be sick as a dog for a year. Oh, I know children's diseases. I go <laughs> family who have little kids. Yeah. It's like I went into some third world country and I came back with malaria. Yeah. So you got to just be prepared for that. I'm just telling you. Now, okay, so coming up on today's episode of the Coda Radio program, uh, there is a couple of – it's fun when this happens, when I'm following a topic and Mike's following a topic and he's got his perspective, I have my perspective, and they kind of ended up coming together this week. And uh, it's gonna, we're going to kind of roll. I got, I got kind of a pitch that I'm going to start it as, and then the, then the conversation is going to expand from there. So I just thought it was, that's going to be interesting. Then later on in the episode, uh, we have some iPad Pro uh, follow-up. We got an email in from uh, an audience member, and we got an email in, uh, or uh, Mike's got some follow-up from some questions I had, and then I got an email that I'm going to read 
Uh, and it's it's uh, it's probably going to be towards the end of the show. But one of the things I think is going to be interesting is going to be following a Pixel C discussion. So that might be kind of interesting to have that in perspective. So, yeah, we got a lot going on this week, Mr. Dominic. And I'm not sure if people are listening because they're probably so worried about Star Wars. But uh, I wanted before we get into uh, the Android stuff, I wanted to just take a like a really quick aside. And I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I just genuinely wanted to bounce an idea off of you. And that is, uh, I don't. Can't be good. Yesterday on the Linux Action Show, I reviewed the latest Plasma Five desktop. Okay. And in doing so, I covered some of the things that some of the issues I ran into. Sure. Now, a lot of times, what happens is when I do these kind of reviews, I, I seem to get lo- the discussion seems to get lost in in nuance. So. Uh, I don't know how to phrase this correctly, but uh, there's always a reason for for when I walk away, my out of the box experience is kind of not is kind of bumpy. Things don't work so right. Like I'll give you one example. Right? Is I had a problem uh, where I would set my volume to say 10 percent on my desktop, and then I would launch Chrome, and Chrome's audio would be at 10 percent. So, like, say I play a YouTube video, right? right. Chrome's right. audio is at 10 percent, but in the background, the rest of the system's volume has gone to 100 percent. So it's not like a master volume control? Well, I set the master system volume to 10%. But once Chrome launched, Chrome got the 10% volume setting. And then something, I assume the Plasma desktop, but something changed the master volume to 100%. So instead of the application being at 100% and then going through the system and being limited to 20 because the system's at 20 or 10 or whatever, uh, what happens is the, the application I'm using, say Chrome, I'm watching a YouTube video, that's at the volume I expect. But any other application on the system, like say you hit, you know, you go close a window to like your editor and a dialog box comes up and says, would you like to save? And KDE goes to make a noise, like a bring noise to say, hey, would you like to save this document? That is at 100% volume. And the speakers I have hooked up to the system are that's, very loud, right? That's terrible. Uh, it almost gave me a heart attack. It was because these speakers, these speakers are unsafe loud. Like you can damage your hearing loud because sometimes when I'm listening to audio, I like to jack up like the – anyways, right, it's for right. editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so I – this is one issue that I explain in the show. And then what happens is I get 30 comments about why that's not the Plasma desktop's fault, why it's actually this bug and pulse or it's this or that or it's the package manager's fault or all these different things. And every single thing I touch on – it's like there is a good reason for it, but at the end of the day, the end user experience in every iteration that I try it is kind of horrible in ways that, you know, I would be embarrassed if somebody – if I got somebody to switch to this desktop and they ran into these kinds of problems, I would be genuinely embarrassed for them. And I would feel bad that I switched them to this desktop. But yet there's always this perfectly good reason and it, it does sometimes feel a little bit like blame deferral. Oh, well, that's not really our fault. You see, that depends on such and such to be done right or this isn't really something we have control over. These kinds of things, like it just feels like it doesn't um, – it doesn't ever feel like just acknowledging that the, the experience isn't what it should be and, and we should address it. It feels like deferring the problem. And so then instead we work on things like icon themes. And I, I don't know how to get past this discussion and I, the reason why I'm asking you is because it feels like what I run up against is a little bit of developer pride. Uh, and, what I, and what it is is a little bit of developer tunnel vision. Um, and not, in, not the specific issues that I just cited, but other ones. Uh, and then sometimes it comes along with, and sometimes it's really pedantic stuff. Like uh, in my review, I mentioned that the K-Write editor under the Plasma desktop is really great. It has really fantastic uh, highlighting and, and syntax recognition support. 
It has uh, fantastic because it's just done really, really subtly, but it has fantastic uh, auto completion support. And I'm like, damn, this is like your basic editor on the desktop. And it is great. And I go on and I list a few other applications and I say these are a great set of supporting cast characters for the Plasma desktop. And then what I get is from the developers themselves, um, actually, K-Write isn't part of the Plasma desktop. It's a separate application that's released independently on its own. Is not actually part of the like, – I, I didn't say it was. I never actually said it was. I said it was right, a good supporting cast character. Compatible. And, yes, and it works well on the Plasma desktop. Like that, but it's like they are nitpicking these. Like they are so focused on understanding the grand vision of the Plasma desktop and the Plasma applications all around, understanding why it's such an incredible opportunity for developers and why it's great that it all works like this. Right. This drive almost blinds them to actually hearing where they've fallen short. And I don't know how to pierce through it. And I feel like this is, uh, at, a, at a macro scale, a problem that a lot of people are having at a micro scale, probably in their individual organizations and their projects, etc. And it, to me, honestly, feels like they don't want to hear it. They want to they explain why I'm wrong, and they will look for anything to explain why I'm wrong, and they don't want to hear that, you know, because here's the thing, Mike, is that volume, that volume issue, they're like, okay, sure, it's a pulse problem. Why doesn't it happen under any other desktop that I run as my – I have all my machines run Linux that I use as a desktop. Any, a laptop, desktop, anything I'm doing where I'm browsing the web or using it as my computer, it runs Linux. None of them have this problem. None of them. And I have been using Linux since the 90s. None of them have this problem. They, I use Plasma Desktop for one week, and it has that problem. So I don't know what the underlying issue is, but the end user result is I have that problem when I'm under the Plasma okay. Desktop. I don't so, have it under other ones. And why yeah. can't I get through to anybody? So let me just interject here real quick. Um, I have not been a, a Linux user in years, uh, but I've always had bad experiences with KDE. So... That was then. I'm sure it's better now. Or maybe I was just too crappy to figure it out. So I always felt like, and again, this may not be true anymore, that a lot of applications never looked right in KDE. Um, and things written for KDE don't look right in what was GNOME 2. That is getting a bit better, and that's why that I was, getting, ex- I was okay. getting excited about it. But to your, to your main point about developers responding badly, I, you know, this is, um, I kind of have two minds about this, right? The The contract development consulting side of me understands that, well, they might be unwilling to say that they, if they screwed something up because, you know, there are scummy people in the world who will try to sue you once you say something like that. But this being open source, no one can do anything, right? There's no risk. Um, it often the, feels like, well, look, our duck's in our row, but the project we depend on doesn't have their shit together. So it's not our fault. It's that project's fault. Well, it, I would say that it is your fault, though. If you're if you're bringing in another project and it doesn't work, I mean, unless it's something where you know Ubuntu has a problem, right? And then of course you can't do anything about it. I, I would almost challenge you and say, well, okay, so you've had these issues. You know, are these applications that you're having problems with successful? I don't know how to measure this. The success of the right. there's no mo- there's no monetary commercial side. So what about like usage? What if I were to say, Chris, what percentage of the plasma desktop users are using, let's say, KWrite? What would you say? Well, I, I don't know. I guess I would answer the question this. My my uh, my underlying sense of it is people who are using the plasma desktop in production, most of them are still on plasma four. People who are using plasma five are probably more enthusiasts. I just I can't. I can't. I can't figure it any other way. And I think GNOME is GNOME three is probably pulling ahead in popularity. That's my sense. But 
you know, that's just based on feedback. And yeah, and I mean, I, that. you know, there is a little sympathy here, though, for the developers, right? They're doing all this work. It's open source. Um, I'm sure they feel like they put a ton of time into it, and your and some of these criticisms might be a little nitpicky. But something like the audio just doesn't work. It's not nitpicky, right? Well, and and I, you know, it's a difficult one because their argument is, well, it's not actually our fault. Well, I would almost agree with that because I, I remember from way back when Pulse Audio still sucks, right? So if you're still using Pulse Audio, which I'm shocked no one has replaced it, is uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess for in my take on it is I don't really have any issues with it. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't really, except for right. under the Plasma Desktop. Yeah, I mean, again, it's hard for me because I'm not coming from a super, you know, I really. I really haven't used Linux as a day-to-day driver in a long time for any extended period of time, right? But when I did, years ago, Pulse Audio was always terrible. So I have no idea if that's still true. Maybe your mileage may vary. Um, well, I wouldn't. But, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to claim any, like, operating systems, audio subsystem is all that great. The new uh, OS X El Capitan has uh, tons oh, yeah. of bugs with the USB audio devices, um, so it's that that's their last them that's the max latest and greatest and they still have let me, issues. Let me give you a beautiful one that hit me uh, last week. I just so I I use Google Play Music for for my music at work. Right? <laughs> oh, I mean what? Why is that funny? Are you enjoying your YouTube Red subscription? That, that I, is I, literally why I subscribed. Really? Yeah, that's I, it's funny. <laughs> I just wanted YouTube Red. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, I'm trying to I'm trying out YouTube Red too because. You know, it's obviously worth me trying since that's how some people are doing it. But uh, it is funny that it just, hey, here's Google Play, uh, too. Let's have, have that the Google Music. Enjoy. Well, it's funny because uh, my wife and I tried Apple Music, and I hate it. The app is just garbage. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's very, like, I could tell there was a designer who spent a lot of time in Photoshop. But from a practical, I would like to listen to music. Yeah, that's exactly. Wow, you just nailed it. That's exactly it, it what it feels work. like. And the Google Play app kind of looks like a bad iOS app. It's very webby, but goddamn, it has everything I want. Like it works. Well, there you and go. There you I'm go. Not at it half the time. Well, uh, and if they can keep making that, uh, I mean, you know, Google I, Play and YouTube Red for one thing isn't that bad, I suppose. So, yeah, but so anyway, the bug is all right. You know, Mac. I'm running a Mac at work. I have a we have an iHome behind me, right? A what? An iHome, one of those old, uh, yeah, one of the like the old Bluetooth ones. Oh, you mean like a speaker thing? Speaker thing. Okay, I thought, I, yeah, of, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, live life loud. iHome, iHomeAudio.com. Yeah. Exactly, but this is an older one. It, it's like gray and crappy looking, but it, it works and it has Bluetooth. So I Bluetooth my Mac to it, and. Everything seems fine. My desktop sounds come up on it, which I then have to mute. Then all of a sudden, I go into Chrome again, and I play Google Play Music out of Chrome because, of course, there's no native client. And I can't figure out how to do it. You have to kill Chrome, restart it, and sometimes restart the whole damn computer to get the stupid audio system to figure out that, oh, wow. Chrome should also use you know, whatever the nearest Bluetooth device is. Wow. And you can even go into settings, into the stupid sound panel, and manually set it to, to the Bluetooth device, so in this case the iHome speaker, and you will still have to restart Chrome. Isn't that funny? I would say it breaks down like this. The most stable sound system is the Windows sound system, but is also the least flexible, which doesn't right. make it all that usable in production. The I honestly, I honestly have very little issue with Pulse Audio under GTK-based desktops, XFCE, 
GNOME, things like that. I really have no issues. Unity, no problems. Uh, Pulse Audio, in fact, even offers some features that are nice for production. Uh, I can do lossless audio streams over the uh, gigabit Ethernet to other machines, so I don't have to run uh, audio cables between all my computers, which eliminates hum and all these kinds of things. It's it's extremely useful. Uh, and then, last on the list now, is the macOS audio subsystem, which... And we're not going to spend – we don't have to go into this a lot, but I would just point out two, three releases ago of macOS, I would have had that list completely flipped. The macOS audio subsystem – That's my problem. Right. Give me me, three years in the past, and I remember coming from Linux to – again, it was years ago – to OS X and being like, holy shit, all of my audio just works. Yeah, well, not only that, but you could use great applications like Audio Hijack Pro and Soundflower to create virtual sound devices. So you could do, you know, some really sophisticated Skype call recording where you can have individual audio tracks for each Skype call. And you could you could have a soundboard that routes to the Skype call and also routes to the recording. Uh, You know, it's really it was very cool. And now it's just a it's a crap show. Uh, And it's too bad because it's Windows basically. Windows and Mac OS, you'd think, you'd think Mac OS's sound system wouldn't have gotten completely reworked, but what happened was is they reworked so many parts of it that... Well, it was during the Mavericks LCAP, right? I think it was Mavericks that redid a bunch of the... And I could be wrong. Someone can fact check me. But it was very recently that they decided to redo a bunch of the USB and a bunch of the audio subsystems. Um, but I don't want to turn this into okay. the why yeah. Mike wants Snow Leopard No, hour. in fact, right. uh, <laughs> that we, you know, maybe that's something that uh, the audience, if they're interested in, could comment on. We can expand on further. But it is interesting to see our workstation OS is kind of, well, to be honest with you, kind of fits in with our next topic, the strategy tax. And this mm-hmm. is what's going to lead us into the Android discussion and the Pixel discussion. So what's wrong? Why, why has the macOS subsystem been screwed up? Because the strategy tax has caused Apple to into this crazy yearly release cycle where they used yep. to sometimes take two years for their desktop releases or more, and they would charge hundreds of dollars. Now they're making it free. Now they're doing yearly releases like they would for a firmware, for a phone. It's a strategy tax. It's made OS X a less viable workstation platform. Look at Windows 8. What a strategy tax that was. The strategy tax and I have it linked in the show notes, is a tax on anything that makes a product less likely to succeed, yet is included to further larger corporate goals. And sometimes that's brilliant. Uh, so an example is you can also have a strategy credit. So a strategy credit is an uncomplicated decision that makes a company look good relative to other companies who face much more significant trade-offs. Here would be a, an example of a strategy credit. Apple has always placed a priority on protecting our customers' personal data, and we don't collect or maintain a mountain of personal details about our customers in the first place. There are certain categories of information which we do not provide to law enforcement or any other group because we choose not to retain it. Now that sounds like a badass thing that Apple does. But really, it's a strategy credit because they don't make all of their money off advertising. They don't have to data mine you. So it really wasn't that big of a decision for them to not keep data they don't actually need. To make their business go. So it's an easy decision for Apple, and yet it continues to be a very good thing that gets talked about, and it just becomes part of the Apple narrative now. It's a strategy credit. Google also has a strategy credit. Yeah, they don't charge you for anything, basically. Android is free. It's open source. That makes Google good guy Google. Google likes open source. That's Google's strategy credit. And they had a strategy credit because they came to the market as a, as, a, as, a, as a late player. They had to convince Verizon to market the droid, right? They had to go all in. They had to let carriers do anything with these devices. And their credit, by making it open source, made it faster adopted, too. Like, it wasn't like a hard decision. It was an easy decision because they were already behind. It's a credit for a strategy. 
So you have strategy taxes, which makes a product worse to further an overall corporate goal, and you have strategy credits. And I think if you look at if you look at uh, if you look at what we were just talking about, and you look at what we're about to talk about, I think this is a very relevant thing to understand. So I just kind of wanted to put it out there first before we jump into the main discussion. So just sort I, of yeah. Let me just can we just jump in on this for a second? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. Spans, I, I already uh, I already finished my Boston Logger though, so I mean I finished my Oktoberfest. That was all right. Well. Side. Side note from the side note. Yeah. Is it beer or like as I expand my beer palette, Sam Adams are becoming very like, yeah, I can drink this in two minutes or less. Yeah. Well, what a Sam, Sam, Sam Adams is like a nice place to come home to. Yeah. You know, you're just, you're getting home, you're back at home. It's like, it's like, you know, uh, I used to, when I go home, I haven't gone there back in years, but when I go back to the home, I, went, I was grew up in high school and it was well water. I swear to God, Mike, it's the best tasting water of my life. I've, water tastes good, but it just tastes like water. I don't know how to explain it. It's the best water. That's like a Sam Adams, Mike. That's like a Sam Adams. Oh, dude, I go home and there's an Italian deli. Uh. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So now do you right. want me? I could talk about Linux Academy real quick or we could or, or also I don't mind talking uh, more about strategy tax. So. Yeah, let me just hit yeah. one thing. Go ahead. Here, right. um, this is a good post, but there are very – and you can challenge me on this. I don't know if I'm right. Very few companies, in my opinion, who are this organized, right? Like you mentioned Google, you mentioned Apple. Who you know who you didn't mention? Or you did mention Microsoft, but really? Well, look at no. Look at Microsoft now with their sudden adoption of Linux and open source. It's a strategy credit. They don't really have any other choice, so it's yeah, an but, easy choice for them to make. And now they get to come across looking like right, good guy you know, at Microsoft. You're right. You're right. You're right. I, mean, I mean, in, in their case, I think it's very strategy de jour. I mean, I don't want to get into it, but at one point they were trying to partner with the uh, ISVs, independent software. Yeah, vendors, oh yeah, right. And that did not go well. For I was anybody. a big part of that wave during my con during my prime contracting uh, time of how, my prime contracting season. You know, during the main time of contracting, one of the big things I was doing was moving people to a thing called hosted exchange. And, and hosted exchange was now what we call cloud computing. It was just exchange servers that were running data centers, and you'd take people off of their local exchange server or, or mail server, whatever they had or didn't have, and move them up to a hosted exchange server. And that was cloud computing. We just didn't call it that. And Microsoft right. would partner with ISVs, and they would offer the support. And they would make like a cut on the sale. And, and then Microsoft started directly hosting exchange themselves. <laughs> they, have, they have a bad habit of shooting people in the back. Yes, yeah. Uh, but, you know, interestingly enough, we still managed to sell enough of our own hosted exchange. And, you know, Mike, you know how we did that? Big old servers in big old racks in Absolutely. big old centers. <laughs> Bring on the, the – what is it? Oh, I forgot the name. We used to buy them, the stupid Dell uh, – the really lame Dell rack servers. Yeah. Oh. I forgot. Uh, there was a, they had a specific like branding to them too. Yeah. Maybe the chat room will remember. Yeah. yeah. But all right. Let's yeah. Linux Academy. Teach me Linux. All right. So yeah. Then we'll get into the main topic where the strategy tax will apply. All right. So you know what? Mike just nailed it. Linux Academy. Linux Academy is where you go to go. You're just going to go learn yourself some Linux or all the stuff around Linux. And also the AWS platform, OpenStack, which, geez, talk about something that's blown up since I've become a con- since I was a contractor. Nuts. You know, I, I remember when I was wrapping up my contracting days, OpenStack was a thing people are talking about. But, you know, nobody was quite in. And, of course, gosh, this is really funny now looking back at it. The big problem was Microsoft wasn't in on it. And so <laughs> how could it go anywhere? Wow. Wow, times have changed. And, you know, 
people that have kept up with that and followed it from the very beginning is Linux Academy because they are absolutely passionate about this subject material. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get the Coder Radio discount and to keep this show going. Just visiting there and learning more about Coder Radio is a way to – or Linux Academy is a way to support Coder Radio. The two go together. And they've been a great sponsor all year long because they are a great fit for our audience. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders and then take a tour of the features. See the step-by-step video courses. Almost 2,000 guides with videos, downloadable comprehensive study guides, instructor help available when you need it. Seven plus distros you choose from. It automatically adjusts the courseware to match that distro. It comes with your own server. It spins them up on demand. You get to SSH into it. doesn't matter if it's a Linux box or up on AWS, one of their Franken Linux box. I mean, it doesn't matter. I love the way they have their scenario-based labs, too. This is totally legit because you go in there, you go hands-on, you get feedback immediately, you know what works, what doesn't work in a real server environment. It's actual genuine experience. Genuine experience, and that makes all of the difference. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go look at their AWS courseware. Go look at their Ruby courseware. Go look at their Android development stuff. You get stuck in the DevOps position? No problem. They got courseware on that. And then here's the other great thing. They have courseware on how to get a job. That's, you know, in Linux, you know, in something in this technology field, open source, Nginx, Apache, all that stack stuff. If you just got to go manage that stuff for your project, you're not even a Linux server guy. Maybe you're sitting there on one of your fancy MacBooks with their PCI SSDs and their backlit keyboards and their super high resolution screens and their nice metal design. And you got a, a, you know, an Apache stack you have to manage. Well, I feel bad for you, but you know what? Linux Academy has you covered. They got courseware just on that. Get you in, get you learning just exactly what you need. In that entire stack, you can try it on some actual servers, really work with the technology. They also have nuggets. If you don't have a lot of time, you just need to make a little bit of a deep dive. What's down here? Oh, look at all of this knowledge. You Go get some knowledge over in them nuggets. If you've got two minutes, 60 minutes, I don't know. Go try it out. Also, they have an availability planner, which is pretty slick. You just tell it, I think I'm going to have about this much time this week. Generates you courseware. It generates you courseware on demand. That's really something. Graded server exercises are really cool. Tons of new content. Brand new CDN, HTML5 player, so it works on all your devices. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for their year-long support of Coder Radio. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. So let's kick this thing off by Mike's tweet, a very, very interesting tweet on December 13th, 2015. Mr. Dominic tweets, any other hashtag Android devs concerned that Google will soon use hashtag Chrome OS for tablets rather than Droid? Seems like an uncertain time to dev to, for tabs. In other words, is it, a wrong, is it the wrong time to develop for tablets? Well, let's expand on this very point because isn't it interesting how the strategy tax makes you uncertain if now is a good time to develop for tablets. I present you Exhibit A. The Pixel C was never supposed to run Android. That's right. The fact that it runs Android like total crap turns out to be because it was never supposed to run it in the first place. But guess what? The strategy tax came knocking. Let's talk about this just a little bit. You guys can read the full article if you're interested. The contradiction between hardware and software is visible all over the Pixel C, says Ars Technica. Two examples will suffice, though. The hardware keyboard and the big screen would point to being a good productivity device. 
but the software's lack of a split-screen mode and apps optimized for screen size hamstring the Pixel C. The hardware seems geared for voice command functionality, given its array of four top-mounted microphones. But the software doesn't support Google's always-on voice commands. It's also odd that the device hails from the Pixel team. Google has two hardware brands, Nexus, which covers flagship Android devices, and Pixel, which denotes flagship Chrome OS devices. With the Pixel C, though, the Pixel team broke ranks and produced an Android tablet. Now they go through, and they break down commits to Chrome OS. They look at different information. They have a whole timeline in here. But if you open up the Pixel C software and take a look at Android's build.prop file, which lists all sorts of base information about the device, you'll see name equals ryu, listed in the properties. Based on this commit, it's safe to say that at one point, Google was definitely developing Chrome OS for this new Pixel C tablet. It appears the Pixel C was planned as a launch hardware for a new all-touch version of Chrome OS, at which some point got canceled and forced them to switch to Android. I'm sorry, Chris, I'm sorry. So were you aware, I'm totally interrupting you, were you aware that that, that Apple needs to approve if your app has a login or registration form? (laughs) What's your point? I have been submitting iOS apps for six and a half years and have seen the same rejection twice. I submitted an app a week ago under a client's name, got in in two days. Well, here, okay. Our app rejected twice immediately, two weeks for each, uh, for even to get into review. I think you're, I think you're, I don't think, I don't think Apple is any less susceptible to the strategy checks. Your tweet, though, your tweet basically sums up the purgatory that developers are stuck in because you don't know what Google's going to do next. They might decide, guess what? Tablets now ship this new fancy version of Chrome OS Touch that we were working on. Took a little bit longer, but our new hardware, we've got it. We've got this thing really nailed. Chrome OS for tablets is going to be great. Uh, But yeah, your Android device, your Android apps, well, some of them will work, but it's not going to look so good on this OS, and it's not going to have some of the built-in features, and yeah, no geolocation stuff, and oh no, you can't access the file system. No, that won't work either. Uh, That's going to be the future, and you don't know when it's going to happen. I think that's the genuine problem. Yeah, this is kind of amazing because this just happened in real time. What? 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 What's that? Oh, I wasn't kidding. I, I literally just got that rejection. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. I see how it came up. All right. Yeah, All right. So it, it's you know, wow. Um, I feel like I have interns again, and I'm telling them why they can't fucking for loop their way to glory. Um. Anyway, so back to Google. The other wonderful people. I looked at the Pixel C, and do you know what I said? The Pixel C wants to be a Chrome device. Mm. And some reason it didn't happen. I don't know the reason. I have no inside knowledge here. But, I mean, come on. You, you took a look at it, right? I've, I've read the reviews. I haven't actually, hold, I haven't actually touched a device. Okay. So the, the, the lack of, like, Android functionality on the tablet is pretty pretty clear um, the lack of decent Android tablet apps the general use of the pixel name is pretty interesting and also remember Project Athena yeah I mean yep. this is probably Project Athena right yeah I mean this is I think those rumors and the ours, the ours article here actually uh, calls it out uh, Project Athena they say the uh, who was it that uh 
who was it that first reported on the merging of Chrome OS and Android? I'm trying to look here. They have actually a reference to it. And I think that's exactly it, right? That was what people were, were kind of picking up on early on. And I, I, my so the reason why I'm talking about this today is the strategy tax thing has been something that has been a position of mine that I have been sort of uh, refining over the year here on Coda Radio. And I think now here we are at the end of the year, and I, I think this pretty much nails it. They completely fundamentally crippled this device, made it very unusable and really an uncompelling device. Sort of buried it in the launch with all the other uh, with the Nexus 5X and the 6P. They just kind of you know just kind of basically got no coverage of it. Uh, and, in, and 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 the, and the and the end result is is a total mixed message to developers that basically say this area is is just way too volatile. Don't bother with it right now because we're about to change everything. Yeah, it, it sends a message of you know it's weird weird because the reviews on this device were pretty split. Right, half of them were great divides, but why won't Android developers step up to the plate? The other half was, gee, this looks like a Chrome device. And I think that, you know, the G, this looks like a Chrome device response answers the why won't Android developers step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. It is super, in my opinion, I can't speak for everyone, it is super risky to develop high-end tablet Android software as long as Chrome exists. I think the, right. I think the only viable Android platform right now is the phone. I, I think Wear is still too experimental. And too unproven. I think the tablet well, it is... Have, it doesn't have significant market share. Yeah, either, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the tablet is just who the hell knows what's going to happen next with the tablet. Who knows? I don't... I mean, the Chrome OS and... Or, or, is, or is, is Chrome OS going to become, you know, a, a virtual app, a virtual machine that's an app on an Android device? Like, what's going to happen next? We don't... It's just all over the place. Uh, and if you're, if you're targeting... Well, but, but, I mean, there's some telegraphing of the punches, right? And Chrome OS isn't going anywhere because they're actually able to sell Chrome devices to schools and governments and things like that. That's a business that makes sense. Um, Android tablets never really took off, right? Uh, the other side of the equation is, you know, they can control Chrome OS where Android's kind of, let's just say, a little out of control for them, right? Well, I don't know if I'd say out of control, I'd say... Basically, nobody really ships a popular device that represents their vision of Android. Well, they ship devices. I mean, the Nexus and yeah, but they don't. They I mean they almost, they almost. I think don't even matter in terms of total market share. I mean, like they're decent, yeah, they're, but they're, they're. I mean, I just to let you know for back points, the biggest piece of the pie is four four. Yeah. Right. By a decent margin, too. So, so I, I bring this up because um, you were tweeting about developing a tablet application. And, and right. you know, uh, it looks like, you know, you're getting more and more serious about Android development. Right. <laughs> and even as we speak. <laughs> Go ahead. No t- oh, because oh, of the email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, but that, that, that not only does that play a role in it, but... You know, I, you were tweeting pictures of uh, of your new app being used at an actual event, and you know, yep. there's some real traction there. That real people can put it on these devices that are that are they, they don't start at five hundred dollars. They start right, they're cheap. I mean, that tablet was a hundred bucks. Right, and they, and they just got that tablet. And it's great for tracking the sports yeah. events. And you know what? They can justify spending a hundred bucks on a tablet. They can't buy a four hundred dollar iPad to do that. Right. And right. so, I mean, it seems to me you are getting more serious about this, but. Uh, I'm just kind of when you look at this kind of instability, this sort of the way they uh, Google feels like their their products are being really tugged around by the strategy tax right now, while they're trying to sort of chase 
this sweet spot that Apple isn't quite fulfilling and that Microsoft isn't quite fulfilling. They're trying to get that and they're trying to nail that spot. And in that process, they're tugging all their products around and yanking developers around at the same time. And I'm, do you feel that or is that not in, on your radar? How do you mean on my – run that by me again? So are, are you not concerned about this? Because your tweet would imply that you are, but then yet it seems like a doubling down on your part of Android at the same time. Dichotomy, sir, I ask you to explain. So there's a couple problems, right? Um, it is one thing to – all right, let's just, let's just open the Komodo a little. I mean Apple basically has the better hardware for tablets, right, by, by a big margin, uh, particularly with the iPad Pro. But the problem is you never really know what's going to happen, right? You it's, – it's difficult to work in a walled garden. I'll put it that way. I, I kind of – I don't know. I, I think I – as far as the developer story has gone, sure. if you created an app – I mean look at the freaking compatibility between – all of the devices now, Apple kind of has a broad range. They're, they're still they're still shipping the iPhone fives. Uh, you've got you've got uh, so those are four inch screens, right? You've got iPhone sixes. You've got iPad minis. You've got iPad Pros. You've got regular iPads. And one thing as a developer, you know, even if you made your app three years ago, if there's a button that you press on that app to open the camera, it's gonna work. If there's a GPU call you make, it's likely going to work. If you want to talk to the, the, the networking stack, it's likely like all this stuff, regardless if you're on the iPhone, the iPad, the iPad Pro, the iPad Mini, the iPhone 6, the 6S, the 4S, the 5S, the 5, it works on all of them. You press that camera button and the camera starts. And I, I don't think – so, yeah, you don't know, you don't know what I, iOS 10 is going to have and, and you don't know what they're going to Sherlock next. You never know that. But you also know there's a damn good chance that next iPad Pro they ship, the app you wrote for the iPad Pro 1 is going to work on the iPad Pro 2. And you have a damn good chance of that. And that is so far the case from the Google devices. I mean, it is a complete night and day story there. You can't even make an app for the, iPhone, for the Nexus 5 and guarantee on the 6P that when you press that camera button, the camera's going to open. And that's the kind of stability I'm actually talking about. So, so here's the problem, right? Would you rather a market where the hardware has problems and the the platform vendor, um, well, they're both really bad, right? You know, uh, let's let's just take the current case. You get a dumb uh, a dumb review, right? You get a really really bad interpretation of the app store review guidelines. You have no way to go around that now. So you're gonna go. You're gonna have to go through an appeal, which it's like complaining to the principal in sixth grade that the teacher was mean to you, right? They're gonna double down. Mm-hmm. Or on Android, at least you can control your launch, right? At least you can talk to your users. You know, a couple of weeks back we talked about if I had to choose why I would have chosen Android, but this is exactly why you have the relationship with the customer, and if you release crap, well, that's that's your problem, right? You have to deal with the customer. Where Apple takes this oddly paternalistic point of view of we're protecting the customer, oh, but we're also protecting our favorite sons. I mean, we've we've done this again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know, I'll grant you we that. Used to, we used to play the game of let's look at the top reviewed apps and see how many of them used to work at Apple. Right, years ago we used yeah. to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And it was yeah. almost like eighty percent. It, right. it was really bad. Yeah, uh, you know, 
I don't I would say that I don't know how this could be sustainable for Apple, but obviously, like, no one has any choice but to jump through the hoops. I think because it's a difference in theory and then implementation. So in theory, you're right. That scenario is way better from a developer's perspective or an end user's perspective. But in practice, and you know this, in practice, when the user clicks a button in that app and your app crashes because of some incompatibility or something changed or because now Chrome OS is the default OS and they're emulating your app, the user thinks it's your fault. They, they, they attribute it to you. You get the one-star review. You get the negative press. It, it, they don't say, oh, that's because uh, Google has made a huge shift in their underlying platform and now this app is being virtualized in, in, on a Linux box that's running its own custom display server. And when it went to go make that graphic call, it expected to have native access to the hardware. I, that's understandable. So I won't necessarily penalize them for that. That's not what the user is going to think. The user is going to think, oh, this stupid freaking app I just paid for or just bought the in-app purchase for it to unlock this thing just took a dump on me, this jerk. And the problem is that doesn't happen nearly as much on the iOS platform. So developers, are more likely to build and invest in something because they know it's going to have a multi-hardware generational use versus, well, it's going to work on all the current Android devices, 4.4 or better, and, um, well, they now have this new fingerprint API, so we're only going to have fingerprint support if you're on Marshmallow. I know we said we have fingerprint support in the Play Store, but that's only if you're on Marshmallow. And- I don't know. I think you've got a pretty short memory. I mean, iOS 7 was rough transitioning from iOS 6. Hmm. There, there was breaking incompatibility with certain APIs, right? Yeah, now you might yeah, it does say happen. it does happen. You know, they warn you one release back that it's deprecated, but it's really hard to steer a big code base. I just, I am, I am absolutely flabbergasted when, when my so my my daughter has an iPad one. You know, we just like here, kids, have at it. There are not many. But there are still app updates that work on this frickin' iPad 1. How old is the iPad 1? It is amazing. Minecraft. It doesn't play well, but frickin' Minecraft still works on the iPad 1. And it works across every version of the iPad. It is uh, That is astonishing. There is really no platform that offers that level of stability at this at this age in the platform, we are five, six years into this platform, and yet we have maintained the ability to run one application across all hardware, even in circumstances where the CPU differences are like 13, 14, 15, 16x difference. It still works. It's incredible. And no other platform can claim that. And I'm just, my, I'm, there are downsides and positives to Apple's horrible system, but the one positive as a developer, I feel like that is a lot safer of a bet. And the strategy tax, this is a strategy credit, right? This is where Apple has a strategy credit. It's not like – I mean this is just what they get for, for designing the CPU, designing the hardware, and designing the operating system. It's a strategy credit, right? And Google's approach is also has positives like you just laid out, but it is a strategy tax. It is, but you, you, you have to understand that. So it's a balance sheet, right? It's – what is more important to you? Is is controlling and owning that user relationship important to you? Or is, you know, backward compatibility important to you? But even then, it's it's really not that hard yeah, to be backwards yeah. compatible on Android. I, I realize which it's getting better, too, right? Especially, right. I mean, it, maybe a couple of years ago, you would have had a much stronger argument. But right now, it's, you know, it is rare for Apple to screw with you, Right. And it's usually nothing evil. It's usually they just hired the app review kid and 
you know, you've been doing apps for a billion years, but because this label doesn't have any releases, they're being hard on you. Um, but that means you can't launch. Right? So at, no matter how compatible with an iPhone 4S it is, and how great it is to get all those people who bought free iPhones, it, it really doesn't matter if you can't control the timing of your launch or you can't have that direct customer relationship. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, one of the biggest problems you hear more, more, let's say, loyal Apple developers talk about is that they really don't own that customer relationship. And that makes a lot of things hard for them, right? It makes monetization hard for them. It makes repeat monetization very, very hard for them. It makes support incredibly hard because, you know, most people aren't going to Google who, who developed this app and write them an email. They're going to blast you on the App Store. Google has a mechanism for you to be able to try to respond and say, hey, you know, let's, let, let's help you. And God willing, the customer will remove the one star. Or at least, you know, not be unhappy. Um, hmm. On the iOS side, it's, it's very – I guess what I'm saying is on Android, it, I feel like it's kind of the old traditional desktop model of it is your customer. Where on iOS, it's very much not, right? No, you're, you're one of – you're something offered by Apple. Well, here's what I will, here's what I will say is the issue that I'm talking about is already in progress of being solved and is technologically solvable and continues to become more solvable. And so it seems like at a certain point there will theoretically be sort of a conflux of the advantages of a more open Play Store and the advantages of that what somebody like you can then know I have a very, very high confidence level of being able to ship you know, full stop, I can ship. That's a big deal. You have that confidence. Plus, you have the conflux of, you know, these incompatibility issues are being worked out or developers are becoming better about jumping on the – because it's not, it's not independent developers. It's not people in our audience. It's the big apps that people really rely upon, right. the, big, the big marquee apps that are not taking advantage of new features, that are not using the fingerprint reader, that are not necessarily right. working when I hit that camera button. It's not the people listening to our show. It's them. And if they, if they maybe see a conflux of making it easier and less costly to stay current with Android devices, and you have – maybe that will start happening. But right now, history so far into this has shown us that's not the case case but you know what i i'm not i don't know I, I i look at it and i think to myself it seems that they haven't solved this problem yet and we've really been talking about this for a while now and they still don't quite have it nailed it's gotten a lot better and if you're a, if you are even somebody who just stays on top of things and updates your builds and publishes new versions of the play store you, you, you pretty much have solved the problem the problem is that's not what a lot of apps are doing you say it's easy Adam from Vancouver in the chat room says it's easy. Problem, then why the hell is it not happening? Because developers don't have an incentive to invest in it because of the strategy tax that I talked about. It's, it's not a technological problem. It is an uncertainty in the platform problem, and it makes them less incentivized to invest. And it's a, it is a catch-22 because that means the apps aren't there, the the, the support to make the Pixel C good is not there. Developers don't have incentive to create applications for there. And Google also then isn't seeing the demand. Drives me crazy. So your problem is that there's not a lot of the high-polished apps on Android, basically. Here's where I'm coming from is uh, I've had a revelation recently that uh, maybe I legitimately don't need a laptop. 
I, I might be able to get by with a fully functional, capable tablet. And the reason why I say that is I'm getting most of the time I have – so at, at, at home, I have my XPS 13 running Arch Linux. And it is – every time I open up the screen, it generally works just fine. It really does everything I need. I just – I don't need a lot. And I, I could use that laptop in other places in the company. And then I would need a new computer at home, but I don't really need a very nice computer because I'm not even gaming very much at home anymore or anything like that. So I started thinking, well, really all I need to be able to do is do online research, do online communications, sync stuff, and that's not a very high demanding task. So I've been experimenting for the last couple of days using an iPad Air, the original iPad Air with a Bluetooth keyboard right, from Logitech, right. and just, can I get by on a couple of days? And I'm surprised, like, really, it's, it's fine. I have, it all, I have it hooked up to a Bluetooth uh, speaker, so the sound is good. And uh, with a keyboard, I mean, it, it's been fine. And so I look at this and I think, I could actually see this working very, very well for me, but none of them are quite there from what I can tell. Now, I have not used the iPad Pro, but... The iPad Air, definitely not there. It has a very basic version of Apple's new multitasking where I can run two apps side by side. I'm never, ever, ever going to run Windows 10 on a Surface Book or whatever. I just simply – I just spent too many years fixing Windows and I I cannot use it anymore. I don't – you can. That's fine. I'm never going to use it. So I will never own a Windows tablet. And the Pixel C was sort of the best contender for Android, maybe one of the NVIDIA devices, but I would really like something with direct Google patches because I've been burned by buying anything but Nexus devices or or Google Direct devices. And so the Pixel C was sort of my, I hope this works. Now it's shipped about a week ago. The reviews are out. It's total crap. And I'm left here thinking to myself, it's not that big of a gap to close, and yet why why can't it be Android? Why, Why are my options iPad Pro... Windows tablet and Android, if I'm looking at the commercial market, and why is the Android one so weak? Why isn't that a better option? Why? Because the Pixel C hardware is pretty kick-ass, right? So why isn't the – it's just – and so I looked into this, and that's where the strategy – the only explanation I can figure is the strategy tax and the, and, and the repercussions it has on developers. Uh, the why is pretty simple, right? It's monetization. It is still much harder to make money on Android than iOS. Um, well, that's kind of all in Google's court. Let's talk about, so let's do a little iPad Pro follow because I think that's a good segue. Sure, sure. Uh, and, uh, so before we get to there, I'll talk about DigitalOcean, which is sort of another one of these game changers. I, I really since started using DigitalOcean have not deployed another VM here at JB. I had a whole solution. I mean, I was really clever. I had a free NAS back storage, iSCSI connection to a Proxmox. Uh, server with a pretty good i7 processor and a pretty good amount of local storage, a couple of network cards. I mean, this thing was going to be the on-location solution for virtualization. Wow, is that an out-of-date idea? Wow. And you know what? I was all in. I was all in. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was going to be the way to do on-premises. No. No, DigitalOcean is my go-to on-demand infrastructure. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up really nice rigs up in the cloud. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. You get a $10 credit. CODERDIGITAL. One word, lowercase. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start only $5 a month. $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. 
They've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, and DigitalOcean just set up a brand new one in Toronto. If you use our promo code Coder Digital, you can pick from any of them for free for two months. You can deploy all the best Linux eyes out there. CoreOS is a really innovative operating system where you deploy the applications in the container. The base operating system is, is done in a very intelligent way where you can have easy updates that don't affect your applications, keep the base OS secure, and DigitalOcean works right upstream with the CoreOS project. Of course, they've got CentOS, Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora, and a free BSD. But what I really love about DigitalOcean is the interface. They allow you to work with modern technologies with a one-click deployment. Things like Docker, Ghost, Ruby on Rails, GitLab. Just click it and it's deployed. You can, you can deploy the entire LAMP stack one click. They have tutorials to cover any gaps for anything you don't know about to really take full advantage of it. It's a really good system. And then, on top of all of it, they have a straightforward API. A lot of good open source code already written to take advantage of that API or you just do it yourself. I mean, the documentation is solid. API is straightforward. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code CoderDigital. Use it for a project, for testing, for gaming, for back-end infrastructure, for your, for your website. There's a lot of big projects using DigitalOcean to host their site. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CoderDigital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic. So I, I had a few questions about iPad Pro. We got an email in about iPad Pro. Where do you want to start, sir? Where do you want to start? Yeah, so let's start with email. All right, so I believe our email came in from Andrew, and Andrew wrote, uh, I was just listening to Coda Radio 182, and I had the following hands-on feedback on my iPad Pro and the pencil. Uh, It's big but light with just a silicone case on the back. It's comfortable for sketching on the couch. The speakers are quite loud for a tablet. I can do the dishes while playing TV on this, and I don't feel the need for any external speaker, and I enjoy watching and listening to it. Oh, that's a big one for me. Uh, he says, I've, never been, I've, I've been using pen tablets since the late 90s, and the pencil is the best drawing experience I've ever had. Full stop. Uh, I'm a musician as well, and I can uh, run separate effects, amps, and modeling pipelines for guitar, bass, vocals, and still have enough gas for drum samplers while recording the whole shebang into a looping workstation all in the same machine at the same time. Okay. That is compelling for somebody who might want to apply live effects of podcasting on the road. That's an interesting thing. He says, the biggest impedi- impediment... Okay. To this as an office or productivity replacement is the limitations on iOS's, iOS's sandboxing. Yeah, here we go. And inter-app communication. Yeah. For example, Coda, a code text editor for iOS, is limited by not being able to work against a repo or package install libraries for scripting languages like JavaScript and Ruby. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. That makes a lot of sense. He says the second biggest challenge for them to overcome is the perception that pro-level apps can't charge for a decent return on investment of time developing them. I agree on that, too. I think that's just going to have to change. He says upgrade pricing or demos might help this. Yeah. Also, he says split screen and slide over for an app side by side is a huge step in the right direction. My limited testing on the iPad Air, by the way, I also would agree. It was pretty neat. I had uh, notes up and then I had the web page up and then I had, uh, I had chat up. I mean, it was pretty neat. Overall, I don't regret buying this at all given its raw power as a device and its ability to offer the best in breed music and visual art creation. I hope Apple addresses some of the concerns of independent app devs. So there's more than a handful of shipping paid apps versus Microsoft and Adobe shipping subscription software. Oh, great point. Thanks for the episode and keep up the good work, Andrew. Well, that was that was really nice. So uh, have you yeah. had a chance to like check out the audio and things like that? What are your thoughts yeah, on so the audio is great, actually. It's surprisingly good. Like you could use it as your TV. 
You can, yeah. And I, I did a little earlier today, earlier this week, or last week rather. Um, one thing I will say is, just echoing his point, apps that are iPad Pro specific, one, I really feel like the iPad Pro needs to be a separate device from the iPad family. And we need to loosen a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the app review guidelines. Um, you know, for the type of software, the expense that would take to develop really high quality professional software for this device, it needs to be, you know, you, you need upgrade pricing. I mean, we talked about, I think I have a way around it, but probably not, right? I mean, people are trying in-app stuff, right? They're- right, that, that's what, I, yeah, that was what we talked about last week. And I then you have other folks that are doing like a here's TweetDeck three, here's TweetDeck four. I hate that. That's terrible. I mean, to me, that's the worst option. Um, one thing I would say is that, you know, at some point, I really do feel that Apple needs to decide: is the iPad Pro an iPad that's just bigger, or is it an actual production device rather than a consumption tablet? And if it is a production device. They really have to loosen the reins. What do we know? What so the smart connector is used for the keyboard? Is there anything else that I mean? Is this smart connector going to be like a future USB standard? That I mean, like a USB. You know, I've heard rumors that there's going to be peripherals, but I don't know how true that is. You know, that's like you know whispers stuff like that. Um, I again, it the device has a ton of potential. But what right do you now, like about it? What, what? Why do you say that? So, I, I uh, what makes it not just a really blown up iPad, or is that exactly what it is? And that's fine. I mean, so that's exactly what it is now, right? So, so the but the hardware, the the touchscreen, uh, the pencil, the ability to one, I still can't get a damn pencil. But some <laughs> of the the processing power in this machine, all the problems with it are software and policy problems. Honestly, if this was, you know, if they did not call this iPad, if they said this was the Mac tab or something like that, and they loosened the restrictions, and they, you know, they really embraced productivity, professional-grade software, I think this would make Microsoft cry, because this would succeed where the Surface RT failed. I really do. It's negative in the freedom Dimension. So let's talk about. I'm sure some of the open source enthusiasts in the audience are going crazy right now. We've been talking about Android and iOS. What 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 is the hope here? Really, is this the best hope for a professional grade, big, large tablet that has a lot of horsepower? Is this it? Is it is yeah. it this thing that has a hundred dollar pointer device and a hundred dollar keyboard that I have to buy separately? Is this my best hope? Because to be honest with you, I kind of right. wish those uh, crappy Lenovo's that folded around into a thing would have been the better hope because. Or, you know, at least there, uh, I can install my own operating system on there. I can hook up a USB device. I can put in, you know, uh, a different memory if I want to upgrade the memory. Like, there is – those things make it also a professional workstation, don't they? Or are we just saying not for this class of device? Is that not what the, is that not what the target is here? I just haven't seen any good alternatives. I mean, you know, if, if I had to pick a runner-up for this, it would probably be a Surface Pro, and that's – that's really trying to be something a little different, right? Um, you know, you know there, a, there is something to coming home. I came home to a device I hadn't touched for three days. Right. I flip open the screen and it has 99% battery and it's instantly connected to the wireless and everything's immediately ready. 
And I, you know, it makes that, hey, I'm going to Google this thing really quick or I'm going to play this video really quick or I want to check this recipe super quick. It makes that like it makes it as easy as opening a cabinet in my home and pulling out a thing because I just open up the thing and it's immediately available. And and that is appealing. But I just can't imagine spending a thousand dollars for that unless it did more. Now, if I could say take this thing on the road and do multi-track recording with it which I might be able to, it sounds like, based on Andrew's email, uh, then we're talking something else because if I can have that same ease of use but something that's also functional for uh, production, then that, then that makes anything that makes me have to work less to do a show allows me to think more about the show. And anytime I get to think more about the show and less how pissed off I am that the shit I use to make the show's work isn't working right, it, it, literally, it literally means I either come into the show in a good mood or a bad mood, and that completely alters the, the feel of the show. And so if I can have something that I push a button with my finger, it unlocks, and I hook up a lightning adapter, and now I'm ready to record, that makes me a happier person. And that makes me in a better mood, and it gives me more time to prep for the show. It makes the shows better. So, like, that's a legitimate use case there. But this doesn't, it doesn't sound like iOS is in a position yet to actually allow me to use it in the way I want to. So is this is this a wait device or do you think maybe a buy device and wait for updates? I think it, I, you know, the problem really is it's not about a technical limitation. It is about policy decisions. And I wouldn't want someone to spend, you know, $700, $800 on a tablet that is really going to be a glorified Hulu or YouTube player, right? Right. Yeah. I, I like I, I'm, I'm hoping – that there's some grand plan here and you know Apple's being conservative but this device has the potential to really create this middle this middle section of the market right you're not a mobile device you're not a laptop you handle you know 80% of most people's computing needs and a number of really unique experiences that can be developed and really productive experiences that can be developed but it has to make sense for everyone. And unfortunately, and this has always been the problem, right? Apple's hierarchy is Apple, the customer, meh. Developers kind of need to be able to make money because the development cycles on these types of apps, the, the productivity ones I'm envisioning, are not, you know, do it in a hackathon, do it in eight weeks. It's a year, six months. It's more, more in-depth. And the value that you're going to be able to provide is definitely worth a hell of a lot more than $10 or $5, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, so it, it, it's just time I... to, to open it up. And you know, not to cut you off, but if developers make bad decisions and piss off their users, well, the market already has a way to solve that problem. And if users make bad decisions, the market solves that problem too, right? There's no reason to artificially limit this awesome productivity device because you don't want to trust developers and users to have a direct relationship. That's my soapbox. I love it. And I will, uh, I will say the reason why I ask about the iPad Pro really is I feel like the pragmatist in me says, this is your best option on the market today. The idealist in me says, why didn't Memo work out? Why can't I have a legitimate Linux-based or Unix-based operating system that works great on a touch interface but allows me to use it as a full-fledged device. Man, if I could, if something like Mamo could run on the iPad Pro hardware, what a treat that would be. I'd be just, that would be, it was a good operating system. With a, it was a good attempt. Nokia made a lot of good stuff here. And I just, and now what we have are, it's, 
I sound like an old an old man a little bit, but it's like the difference between a, a car that has the, the the engine completely sealed and a car that has the engine exposed. I, I, and if I'm going to use it in production, sometimes I need to get under the hood. So, yeah, I, it, it's something. It's interesting. It's something I think about. Uh, and so, anyways, keep us up to date. And uh, let us know, uh, Mr. Dominic, how it goes. By the way, additional info in the show notes regarding um, the Pixel C. There was an AMA on Reddit from the Pixel C development team. It didn't go so well. Yeah, uh, it didn't. Did, yeah, it did not. In fact, if you look, uh, all of the first questions in the thread are deleted. All deleted, 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 deleted. <laughs> oh, it's not good. It's not good. But uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of kicked up this conversation we had this week on the show. Now, uh, Mr. Dominic, we have one more bit of feedback we could get to before we get out of here. You want to cover uh, something that you've been saying for a while. You've been, you have a platform. Hello, everybody. Here on the show. And uh, you have used that platform to make your point about people being taken advantage of. Oh, the H1B. Yeah. yeah. I, I had no idea what you were talking about for a second. I know. I was, I was teasing it to let you just kind of take it away. Yeah. So Ted Cruz. Not one of my favorite people, but he has <laughs> really. Oh, he has an idea that's so voltastic that I think I'm going to say it was mine, and I think it might have been mine. We'll have to dig through the archives. Somebody will have uh, to tune in through the back catalog and find out. Minimum salary for H1B workers: hundred and ten thousand dollars. Bam! And you can say that it's crazy and it's paranoid that they're taking uh, domestic jobs. It literally just happened at Disney, and a lawsuit was filed. Yeah, so this is yeah. actually this is actually makes some sense because it adds real cost to companies for doing this, and it ensures that the H one B wages of these workers is competitive. Right, it keeps it fair for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it makes the wage competitive and it makes the cost reasonable. That's an interesting idea. Look at him. Look at him. You wonder if he's uh, playing up to some of the tech market with that. Would that be interesting? I doubt it, but you never know. CoderRadio.reddit.com is where you go to submit that, like Friend of Entropy did or anybody else over at CoderRadio.reddit.com, where they can also submit feedback. We'll have a specific thread for 183. Don't miss next week's episode, where we'll have a retrospective of some of the more popular and interesting and ev- evolving topics uh, that we cover throughout the year. Anything else we want to cover, Mr. Dominic? Nope, nothing. Oh, nothing. Nothing. Well, maybe then plug a plug away like you know maybe a twitter feed or something like that go check out buccaneer tech on twitter and they're looking for a deckhand you can find out more at buccaneer tech on twitter you can follow me on twitter at chris las you can follow the network at jupiter signal to find more about live events and news check out live times jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact for your feedback we love that and coderadio.reddit.com for topics So we won't be live next week, but we will be live the week after Christmas. So have a great holiday, and I hope you enjoy the retrospective. And we'll see you back live in two weeks.